Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm Mischievous Marchinacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but the annuals do not count. Welcome to the Amazing Spider-Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of... The Amazing Spider Talk. Woo-woo. Well, today on the show, Dan and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 5, Number 65, Legacy Number 866, titled King's Ransom, Part 3. Amazing Spider-Man, Number 65, was written by Nick Spencer, with art by Federico Vincentini and Federico Sabatini. Don't mix up your Federicos, Dan. (laughs) Colors by Alex Sinclair, and letters by VC's Joe Caramonga. The cover is by Mark Bagley, John Dell, and Brian Reber. This issue was first released on May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, 2021. Wow, Mark, time to party. Get the margaritas going. We'll bring our Italian (laughs) artists with us. It'll be a whole thing. Just cultural mixing. We we are a melting pot of fun here on Amazing Spider Talk. Let's get into it, Dan. Amazing Spider-Man number 65. Let me just start off with a a broad view that, you know, this there were some fun moments of this comic but like uh, am I the only one who thought like there wasn't really a lot of Spider-Man in it (laughs) yeah I mean I I can see that I mean it's definitely not Peter's story at the heart of this thing for what it was I enjoyed it as a kind of wrap up to the like Robbie uh, Lonnie Lincoln thing I'm expecting we're going to get a big Spidey Kingpin story in that giant size issue that's coming out this week So if this puts that subplot to the side and allows that other thing to kind of take center stage, I'm, I'm pretty okay with it. I mean, would I like these stories to be more about Peter Parker? Absolutely. I'm hopeful that the next one is going to, to be there. And I think that is the, that is the Nick Spencer response we get is I'm always hopeful for the next one. I don't want to like get too deep into the, the weeds of criticism here right on the onset, but yeah, I mean like, I get what you're saying, and we certainly have had plenty of comics over the years uh, within this title and the ancillary titles where Peter is not the central focus, and that's not always a problem or really, you know, it's not a constant problem per se, but, you know, I I, I think, you know, unfortunately with this creative 
team that we've had over the past couple of years when when I feel when the book strays a little too far from Peter's story, it's when I kind of start to worry about where it's going to go next. And the fact that we are kind of in the penultimate chapter, granted, we have a giant size one on deck, lots of page space to to rectify things. But, you know, we also got a lot of page space in what issue 50 and, <laughs> and, and whatnot. So just saying my my not kindred alarm went off, but my like, uh, where the heck is Spider-Man in the closing stages of a story alarm went off. So that's uh, where we're at. Rick, cook one up for that long title. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> probably sounds like a bullhorn. Uh, but why don't we uh, why don't we talk a little bit about the art? Because I do feel that there was some standout art within this issue. You know, I joked earlier that we had two Federicos involved in this book. Have we had Sabatini on inks prior to this i don't recall seeing his name in the in the roster i don't remember seeing him either i think you know he just did the kind of like book ending here with the kindred stuff i mean for me i think whether they judged it by first name or by art style it was a decent match for federico vincentini i mean it was like clearly in that same kind of like ballpark of style but but i would say it was a significant step down from Federico Vincentini's stuff. You know, it reminds me of, like, back in the days, it's only for a few issues, but we had, like, Humberto Ramos's, you know, early work where he was far more exaggerative than he is today. And then he kind of got filled in with Francisco Herrera for, like, a couple issues here and there. And you could just tell there was something off. Like, it looked like Ramos, but it wasn't. And as, as Ramos has progressed as an artist... I think Francisco Herrera has really hung out around that early Ramos kind of interpretation of his art. And to me, this is kind of similar. It's like Federico Sabatini looks like probably where Federico Vincentini was as an artist like five years ago. Yeah, it just felt a little looser and sketchier, not as clean as Vincentini for whatever that was worth. I I just I, I had not recognized the name before. And, you know, again, like, you know, all all names you know name similarities aside i mean like you said it was somewhat similar but different enough where like those opening pages it definitely it definitely kind of shook me for a second because i was like wait i thought vincentini was on this book and then like like once we got into it it was like oh there's vincentini i also think it's a case of like where like alex sinclair's colors are very detailed and there's a lot of rendering going on but then you get to your pencils and they're like so simple and you've got this like almost like clash, you know, be- between worlds where it's like one of them is like really rendering these characters and the other one is not really at all. And it's like leading the colorist to do a ton of work. And I just think it feels really lopsided when you look at it. So as for the story itself, you know, we, we kind of get back to this scene that frankly, we've seen for the past two issues, which is like Baron Mordo torturing Kindred and kind of Norman standing on the side, feeling conflicted about it and Kingpin kind of being gleeful about it. I guess we kind of move a little bit here, but, you know, like kind of to my other point about the the Spider-Man Peter stuff earlier, just kind of felt a little samey to me until we got a little further into it. But I guess, you know, we just kind of want to exhaust a little bit 
you know, that Kingpin's a bad guy and Mordo's a bad guy and that Norman might be not as much of a bad guy as he used to be. Is that, does that sound like a fair assessment of, of character values here, Dan? <laughs> yeah, but like, I don't know why we're, we're devoting this much page space to this. You know, I just kind of like this would be much better space spent on getting inside of Peter's head. And there are some nice moments where we we get our classic Peter swinging around the city kind of stuff in this case he's like racing to get to you know save randy and and janice and and everybody while talking to jonah and we'll talk about that moment later like i could imagine like using these pages on peter instead would would do well to counter our criticism because you're right it is very samey here the only like you know real thing that i got out of this that was really new you know ignoring what I, th- I still think is really truly weird narration from Kindred. At least I assume it's Kindred, that purple like boxes. I, I, I'm not a fan of this, but there's the suggestion that only Norman could hear Kindred's pleas while he was being tortured. And I thought that was a really odd note because it didn't seem to be like, hey, like Kingpin and, and Mordo are evil people, so they're like tone deaf. It seemed more like, like physically only Norman could hear him speak. And I want made me wonder, like, we've not really dealt much with, like, people perceiving Kindred differently within the same room. And it made me think, well, maybe maybe there is something to, like, does, does Kindred appear differently to different people? And then does that mean that maybe it's not Harry? It's just appearing to be Harry because Norman is there? Right. I mean, and I've seen that theory too, Dan, but like, I mean, I feel like we've had enough people kind of verify, at least to them, that it's Harry. If that is true, I feel like that through line hasn't been fairly depicted in over the course of the last few years of this book. Does that make sense? I mean, I a hundred percent agree with that. I'm just positing it because it seems like such a strange note to be so specific about. Like, I don't know if it if it red flags for you in that way. I mean, if I could no prize it a little bit, I would say, I mean, you know, is it maybe because haven't we established that, you know, kindreds, insects, I don't know, are they, are they worms or centipedes or whatever, have like crawled inside of like Norman's head at some point? Maybe that like is like that part of him is what's speaking inside him and he can hear it. I, I don't know. Like that's that's my my wild guess to that. I, that's I, fair. That's fair. Yeah, he is one of the few people that has that voice inside of his head. And we saw the same is true with Dr. Octopus even before he got the worm in his ear was that he was hearing these voices. So, uh, you know, something to I, I, to I that. mean, that's that's just a guess. Uh, you know, I, I you you could be right here. And I'm just saying, if you're right. I think that's dumb. <laughs> that's, that's neither here nor there. I mean, not that you're not dumb. Just that that that's a dumb development. Because yeah, I feel thanks, like Mark. It, yeah, no, no, no. You're you're brilliant, Dan. But that's a, that would be to me a very challenging plot beat because I feel like we that's just not been it's not fair. You know, like you can't you can't change the game on people this this far into a story. But I don't know if necessarily this creative team cares about fair sometimes. So we got some more kind of buddy buddy cop uh, drama with Tombstone and Robbie. And, and similar to last issue, to me, this this was the highlight of the book from a narrative standpoint, the Tombstone-Robbie relationship. I mean, could you, 
even possibly disagree with that, Dan? <laughs> no, and I, because I think the rest of the book is is kind of reveling in being like an art action showcase, and I'm okay with that sometimes, especially when it's rendered this way. So, like, yeah, I mean, to me, this was like a lot of fun to read on the page, seeing this kind of budding relationship between these two relating to each other about you know being like dads. You know, it, it's a classic situation. It's the same kind of thing we got with you know, Jonah and Peter when they were, you know, brothers-in-law, if you will. Cousins-in-law? I'm not sure exactly how that works. Yeah, I mean, it's that classic two people are thrown together because their family members are romantically involved. Yeah, I'm curious to see how this plays out because it seems like it's going to be an ongoing situation. Like you just indicated, I mean, it's a common trope, but at the same token, like it's 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 common because it works. I mean, you have two characters that are diametrically opposed and, you know, what brings them together is is something that is kind of uh, unshakably common. A love for a child, you know, like even Lonnie Lincoln loves his loves his child as as Robbie loves his. They have the same kinds of problems in terms of relating to their kids and their kids not listening to them. And, and, and it works. I mean. You know, I, 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 I don't think that Lonnie and Robbie are going to have some kind of true, deeper understanding for each other when this is all over. But like, you know, they, they, they have enough in common here to, to unite. And, and like I said, it just works. There's a reason why it's tried but true in terms of kind of narrative structures here. The inexperience of this duo being tricked by a dope like Mirage. I mean, like that, that I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever actually seen Mirage get the leg up on somebody unless it's like, you know, a wedding party. Uh, so, I mean, you know, <laughs> victory to Mirage here, I guess. <laughs> I mean, this is the classic superior foes moment where just some dumb dope, you know, get, is constantly backstabbing or. And I love that he rubs it in with Robbie. He's like, I bet that article sounds good now. Like, why didn't you approve my article for you? Like, it's all about something as flimsy as giving him a byline. So I thought I thought that was a lot of fun. Of course, Madam Mask appears and surrounds everybody. And then, then we get to the, like, for me, one of the highlights of the book. And I know it's going to sound lame that the highlights are always Spider-Man swinging around the city. But this one I thought was really cool, the way the page transitioned because you see Spider-Man kind of like like upside down, but like you think right side up until you realize that the whole background is flipped. And so the page is like the birds are flying around the bottom of the page. I mean, this is the kind of thing of like someone who's really having fun with, with the art on this book. That's an awesome upside down page from Vincentini. And it's the kind of thing, frankly, you wish you saw more in a book about a guy who can swing himself or upside down around cities and stuff like that. So that was a nice visual surprise to to see and some good narration from Peter. It was certainly a fun way to transition into the book with Spider-Man. I mean, you know, again, going back to what I was saying at the beginning, I mean, my, my complaint is, I mean, we're what now, like two thirds through this comic and he's just showing up and like, you, you know, we didn't even get like any kind of glorified, like one, you know, the, 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 the token one page intro earlier in the book where Spider-Man is like, we got to find, I got to find Randy or something, you know what I mean? Or I got to find Boomerang or, you know, and then like cut to all this other story. I mean, like it literally just felt like, oh, right, we're in a Spider-Man book and now Spider-Man's here. Like it just, it was just so kind of random that he finally decided to show up. But you're right. Very fun visually. You know, the next, the preceding 
few pages of the big fight, I mean, this was this was top notch stuff from Vincentini, you know, page by page here. I mean, like this a lot to love from a visual standpoint. Yeah, I mean, but even even before that, we've got like Spider Man talking to Jameson, who's watching through, you know, like the new costume and is relishing that it ha- is it's Robbie who has to be saved, which. I guess is in character for Jameson. I don't think I've ever seen him like wish harm necessarily on Robbie. I guess that there is kind of jealousy has reached that point. Although Jameson's certainly, you know, not one to shy away from like potentially inflicting harm on those who he considers his rivals in, in some regard. To me, this is just another like ellipses on the potential drama being mined from the Spider-Man costume, which like, still felt kind of weird to have introduced in 61 and kind of not do much with. I'll get into some theories I have about it later on in the issue because I do think that where we're headed, this suit is going to play a big role. But you're right. So that we, we turn the page and Tombstone has a card up his sleeve and he calls in the syndicate to save them from Madame Mask. And you get this like you said, stunning full page from Vincentini of the syndicate like bursting through the wall. And the next few pages of these splashes and, and spreads are just like seeing the syndicate in action. I was like, okay, like I enjoyed seeing these guys before from like Umberto Ramos, but this was something completely different. And I like bought into every second. This was so fun. Yeah. It felt very dynamic. I mean, some of the dialogue I could have, done without i mean like you know just kind of like oh you came anyway it's like well we're sisters i i i mean it's if it didn't ring totally true to me in terms of who these characters are and kind of what they've been doing to each other in their limited appearances in this book but it was it was certainly visually fun enough and dynamic enough to kind of cover for that and and you know because you kind of want to keep turning the pages anyway to see what's happening next and you know on top of that you have Crime Master, you have Madame Mask. I mean, there's just so much on each of these pages here. I mean, like this was this was like I mean, we're not quite Crisis on the Infinite Earth levels in terms of George Perez, but like there was a lot going on here, like more more than we typically see in a in a, in a Spider-Man book, and it was very impressive how the 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 battle was being staged and and the the color and the fun of it. I, I guess I would say it's overwhelming but like in a way that you just want to lean into it a little bit more you know because you know all the details are going to be really enjoyable and i think i'm actually looking at our commissioned art here that's going to go out to our patrons from vincentini and it's just exactly the same you know it is just like jam-packed and that's kind of his thing he likes his action like heavy and all over the place you know i agree with you about the dialogue i could have done without the linkedin line which i thought was a little eh but I did, I mean, I actually kind of liked the, like, we're sisters line because it's like, we're sisters, but we're also being paid a ton. And it's like, yeah, yeah, all right. Like, you can put on this face, but at the heart of it, you're still a criminal. And, and that's going to be your kind of, like, guiding, guiding light. But, yeah, anyway, so Spider-Man busts in. He takes out the crime master and teams up with the syndicate as well, which is just as drool-worthy. You've got Janice taking out Madame Mask. She's no longer her biggest fan. And Spider-Man takes down whoever the crime master is this time. And, and the story resolves before we I even find out. Who cares? <laughs> Roderick Kingsley makes another buck. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I love that, like, Roderick Kingsley has just, like, he's almost, like, doubled down on the, like, 
any, like everybody is the hobgoblin is now like everybody is everybody. <laughs> right, right, right. And I don't know if this is where you were about to get into your speculation, but you know, Robbie has a warning to Peter about Jonah here, uh, which was kind of interesting, you know, in terms of, you know, to kind of be careful of him, which, you know, you would think Peter would be aware of. But I mean, is this, like I said, is this where you're going with your speculation with the suit, Dan, or, or are you saving that for even later? No, no, I think this is a good point to get into it. I mean, like, you're it's Jonah, right? So like the other card is or whatever, the other shoe is always about to drop. Jonah has goals and he'll get there maybe not always the most ethically, you know, ethically whatever way, sound way. You know, we don't know where this suit came from. And I, 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 you know, I think we're meant to kind of hand wave like it's just the threats and menaces suit. You know, there was this big ad in in this book for the chameleon conspiracy or whatever that book is being called, where it's a split face between Spider-Man and the chameleon you know, it may, reminded me, oh, yeah, we've got a chameleon story coming up. A chameleon story means someone here is chameleon, right? I mean, like, he's been working behind the scenes for a while and infiltrating things and plotting his revenge on Spider-Man in some way. And then you start thinking about the powers of this costume is to basically get inside of Spider-Man's head and, you know, v- view him from all places. And I'm thinking... What if the chameleon has something to do with, you know, th- this costume in some way or is working at threats and menaces and using that as some way to control Spider-Man? Th- there's something going on here. And if the suit is not going to play a big role in this arc, I think certainly it's going to play a big role in the next arc. And this line here to, about Jonah seems to be the setup. And so I am, I, I, I'm all of a sudden hugely skeptical about the suit and its uh, proximity to something like the chameleon. Does that sound at all sound? Yeah, yeah, no, that totally tracks. I do want to add that that house ad with the chameleon completely threw me in terms of how it was like spliced into the book because I did it. It took me a couple of reads to be like, oh, wait, no, that's an ad. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, wait a second. I know chameleon's coming in a future story, but what? <laughs> it was a little a little weirdly placed. But no, I, I, I think that's fair. And I think like, you know, it would be a kind of a logical next step because, you know, we kind of had, for lack of a better phrase, Peter and Jonah on the phrase of a breakup a while ago because of Peter's lack of trust in Jonah. And wouldn't it be fitting that like, OK, he gives Jonah essentially one more chance here and Jonah's through Jonah's greed and ignorance ends up like opening an, another serious threat into Peter's life via the chameleon. I mean, I, I don't think I don't think Jonah would be maliciously plotting against Peter with the chameleon. But like, you know, obviously, like you said, it could be either Nora or someone who's like behind the suit or something that Jonah is absentmindedly working with and and feeding very sensitive information to chameleon inadvertently so that that tracks and i and again that art from that ad seems to also kind of indicate as much so we shall see as weird as it would be to see jonah working with chameleon we've also got mary jane working with mysterio so weird things have happened this is very very true i mean you know that that mini series for now did happen so uh that hasn't changed do you want to talk a little bit about some of the other closing moments of this comic? I mean, we have 
Janice and and Randy, despite kind of the reverse psychology ploys of their of their fathers, they're going to move in with each other. You know, is that going to mean? Does that mean four people in the apartment, or is Peter finally going to move out? <laughs> well, I mean, what's left of the apartment too, right? Wasn't it blown well, to smithereens? Yes. That's very true. I, I can't. I keep forgetting that this is yet another apartment that Peter has had blown up on him. Yeah, I would have to imagine that there's going to be some separate ways going here. We also don't know what the status of good old Fred is based on this issue. I mean, this could get dicey for him as well. Right. So like j- jumping past the next scene, we can come back to it. You know, we have a scene with spy, uh, Peter and, and MJ and Gog. And I'm wondering where this is, is located. I mean, I think, right, wasn't she babysitting Gog? So this would be in... MJ, Her apartment? Yeah, MJ's apartment. So then the real question is, is Peter moving in with MJ? And does that push him closer towards an engagement and, you know, inflame the kindred thing, which we assume is linked to that? You know, I, I think that this is just a, like moving the pieces closer together in some regard. So, of course, they use then use Gog to track down Fred. And that seems to be what's going to kind of move us closer towards, well, this giant size that's coming out tomorrow. Go back to this Osborne scene. So we return back to Federico Sabatini's art to catch up on on Osborne. What is he doing? So he so he's blackmailing a guard to get into the cell next to Kindred. So what what do we what do we think that's about? I mean, do we do we think Norman's plotting with somebody? Is he trying to get closer to Kindred? What, 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 what's your what's your take on this? Because like I I kind of had a I don't want to say ambivalent read, but I I had I. I, I had a hard time figuring out where this might have been going. So I'd be curious to hear if you have a more concrete theory, because I don't have a lot on this. I don't really have a concrete theory. I'm kind of like up in the air about like who is is and isn't at Ravencroft at any moment in time. Like at one point, Juggernaut was there, which like, OK, I didn't really know how that happened. I know John Jameson is like working there, but maybe, you know, but to me, it seems like maybe Osborne is trying to set up like a diversion something that could cause chaos and ultimately you know allow him to free kindred or something like that i I don't really know but what's interesting is that kingpin gave osborne a day to solve the kindred situation before he comes back so whatever's going to happen with kindred and osborne is probably going to happen pretty soon I, i would have to imagine don't you love those? I will give you 24 hours to screw everything up. Deals. Yeah, <laughs> right. My co- favorite. Yeah. I always get made in comics. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm the evil genius, but I'm gonna walk away for a day. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Speaking of boomerang, you know he's in, in bullseye's sights, so he's in trouble. Ooh. Yeah, trouble that can't end well. Yeah. Uh, but who's to the rescue? I mean, I, I, I think pre- before we started recording, I referred to these characters as the defenders, but I don't know if they're technically the defenders. It was, uh, I guess, a mishmash of of street level heroes and and maybe not so street level, including Hawkeye, Spider-Woman, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, and we, we think Wolverine. <laughs> I mean, like 90% sure Wolverine, right? I mean, it- <laughs> I'm like half hoping it's D-Man. Like that, that that would be that would be my dream, but I don't think so. I'm pretty sure it's Wolverine. You know, half of these characters aren't in the costumes that they're wearing at any given time. Although at the state of the X Men right now, who can really tell? You got like classic brown suit Wolverine, and you've got like, and maybe I'm just not all the way. I'm, I'm reading Spider Woman on Marvel Unlimited, but last I checked, she was wearing like a black costume. I don't know like what's going on here, but fine. 
I don't think the story needed the defenders in it, but sure, I get, I guess so. Yeah, and, J- and Jessica Jones. So I mean, fun stuff, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it's 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 just it's it's ve- it's a very random team up. It kind of has me a little concerned about the overstuff. I mean, it is a giant size, so I guess I shouldn't call it overstuff. It's by proxy overstuff. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't know. Like it, it just it. How much plot are we really going to advance in this book, and how much of it is just going to kind of be like f- fluff and silliness, and you know, some action sequences, and then you know, and now on to the next story, which you know, we really, we we really haven't had a good record of late of like ending stories and arcs in an appropriate way where you actually feel like it's over. <laughs> so I, I, I'm just wondering if we're being set up for more of the same here. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I was really excited about the giant size because it seemed to be like, okay, like this is going to allow us to end these stories in like big emotional notes rather than jamming it into 21 pages or whatever. But then you like add more elements into it at the last minute. Like I, I can't help but think about like, the order of the web and how little I cared about that. I'm much less like, well, wait, like, why are we bringing these dudes in if not just to sell books? But isn't the order of the web a thing? Like, why not call them in on this one? I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Now I'm getting silly. As I say, is there some kind of, you know, any kind of Marvel MCU thing going on that involves these characters? Well, no, not not right, not at the moment. You know, it's like we're not, we don't have Netflix shows right now. <laughs> it seemed like Hawkeye a strange roll of the dice. Yeah. Like you said, at least the order of the web would kind of work on another level. But whatever. It's fine. We'll see what happens. But this this issue was just kind of filled with red flags galore for me in terms of where, you know, things that have happened in this story in, in with this creative team for a while now. So we'll, we'll I don't share with your internal optimism. Of, well, there's always next issue. <laughs> but that's kind of my MO is to be a little more cranky than you, I think. <laughs> Maybe. I, I mean, I think I just like I appreciated that this little mini arc wrapped up and left us room to kind of deal with the bigger thing and the bigger issue. So, you know, that might not come to pass. But, uh, you know, when I get a book that looks like this, even if it's not all Vincentini's art, the the pages I got from him, like, I mean, whatever. We've been spoiled on on spider artists for a long time, even if it's not consistent. Uh, maybe the the shock of that is kind of worn off, you know. But I read enough comics with art I don't like that it's cool to see a comic have art that I do. Want to give this thing a grade, Dan? Yeah, I'm gonna give it a C plus because the story was fine, but the art put gave it that extra nudge for me. See, I'm actually right there with you, which just goes to show that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. We were talking this up. I was thinking like, oh, man, Dan's going to be a few notches higher than me on this. And, you know, he's going to think I'm being unfair. And it's like, no, we're the same. (laughs) I I, I could have given it a B minus, but I think over time, like I've really adjusted my scale. Like, you know what? C, flat C is average. And I like this more than the average issue. Well, the so, art, like, the art yeah. elevates it above average, for sure. For I sure. Mean, it's an average story with, with above average art, I would say. Absolutely. So. Agreed on that one. So, cool. All right. Well, thanks for talking to me about this, Mark. It's always a good time. Oh, of course. Well, let me, let's, let's, let's rush to the other finale, the finale of our show, because it is that time, time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. And, and I, you know, I think it's important to say on that note, Mark, you know, we are we having a like a really aggressive publishing schedule this summer for Amazing Spider-Man. 
And, you know, we haven't really discussed how we're planning on handling it. But for right now, we're going to try to take it as it comes, I think, is the plan. You know, that might mean four episodes a month, which is a little outside <laughs> of our, our schedule. But, you know, hang in there, everybody. Life throws a lot at you. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But for right now, I think Mark and I are planning on kind of just taking this as we normally do, one issue at a time. I mean, you know, if it turns out that some episodes get recorded on a Monday or a Tuesday instead of a Sunday, just bear with us, folks. I mean, you know, like that's 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 life. But we're 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 here to talk comics and have some fun with it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, of course, you know, this episode wasn't made on our own. You know, just Mark and I. It was edited by Rick Coast with production support from Andy Myers and our artwork. It always comes handcrafted by our favorite artists, Ron Friends, Sal Buscema, and Ray Sumzer, with our theme song produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. This episode was originally released on Patreon as a live stream hangout with us back when the comic was first released. So if you'd like to come help support our show's continued existence and these reviews while joining us on the live stream, why not head on over to our Patreon and sign up? So, Mark... Until you start calling the syndicate to burst through your wall and attack your enemies, what's our motto? My motto, of course, or I should say our motto, of course, is with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next